myself, my name is O, O, H to the O, V, I used to move snowflakes by the O, C, I guess even back then you can call me, CEO of the R, O, C, O, fresh out the frying pan into the fire, I be the music man's number one supplier, flying in a piece of paper bearing my name, got the hottest chick in the game, wearing my chain, that's right, O, O, not D, O, C, but similar to the letters, no one can do it better, you can blame Sean, Play it day one with Game Pass. 2022 represents a new dawn for Formula One. The biggest overhaul the regulations have ever had. The drivers will love it because they are fighters, like in the Colosseum. How are you feeling about being in the chair? Right. There's so much potential for the order to be flipped. It's a step into the unknown. Hey, race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Welcome to the Drafting the Circus program presented by Sinister One Productions. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk over everything in racing. First off, quick uh, shout out to our sponsors, uh, Netflix with the Drive to Survive. Uh, next season starting February 25th. Also, uh, Forza Motorsport for Xbox coming out. This is visually uh, the most amazing uh, racing game you'll ever see. Uh, look for that in, in March. Joining me in the studio, Luis Torres, Richard Uden, and Levi, fellas. What's happening? How's it going? What's up, Frank? It's going. It's going. Luis, you're always so enthusiastic, man. Always so <laughs> pleased to see you, man. You know, I mean, I know. 
No, I, I honestly happy to be here. Of course, it's just it's like Daytona week, my man. It's Daytona week. I'll sadly uh, be in Spokane this weekend, so that's kind of why I'm so subdued about Daytona, man. But hey, hey, it's a lot to talk about. Five hundred this year. Watch, watch out for the vampires up here in Washington. So anyway, so let's uh, let's talk about racing a little bit. So an announcement made earlier today. Uh, Tony Kanon, uh, you know, one of the uh, most popular guys uh, in IndyCar in recent seasons has announced his retirement uh, after this year's 500. Uh, he is running the 500 with the McLaren team, which uh, is a team that gives him a car that's plenty capable of winning that race there. But And this is not Tony's first shot at trying to retire. If you recall, he was going to retire in 2020. He was going to run a partial season with A.J. Foyt Motorsports and then retire at the end of that year uh, with the caveat that he might come back just to do Indy. Uh, but the fact is that uh, that was the year we ran a lot of races with no fans, including the 500 with no fans. Uh, so Tony didn't feel like he really did his kind of fans any justice on a farewell tour that he was going to call TK's last lap. So, you know, again, another victim of the, um, of the COVID-19, but um, so, and he's been in Indy every year since uh, had a pretty good showing. He came third last year. Uh, the guy is still always a threat to win at Indy. Uh, but he said this one will be his last, uh, his last IndyCar race. I believe he's still still going to remain active in Brazilian sports car racing. But when I think of Tony Kanaan and what he's meant to the sport, um, he's a pretty significant figure. And I, I recall he was running in the kart series um, in the late 90s. He um, was running uh, – he actually won the Michigan 500 – uh, in 99 and then when michael andretti purchased the assets of uh green team green racing the first thing michael did was fire paul tracy uh, the second thing michael did was make sure he kept dario franchitti in the fold and the third thing he did was to make sure that he he uh extended a job offer to tony Kanan. he wanted tony on that team then from there they added uh um so you had franchitti Kanan. michael was in a car part-time uh, Dan Weldon joined that team as a injury replacement for Frank Keedy, but that ended up turning into a full-time ride. And then their other driver was Brian Herta. And that era, um, that was just the IndyCar super team. Uh, one of the few times a four-car team had all four of their drivers win races in the same season, that being in 2005. And Tony was the, you know, despite the fact that, uh, you know, Dario was probably the more seasoned experience. Tony was the pretty much the, the team leader there. And uh, but these guys not only raced well together, they got along well together. And they, they famously, you know, did pranks on one another. It was just a great era. It was like catching lightning in a bottle. And that's what I remember. That's when I became a Tony Kanon fan because I had been a Michael Andretti fan my whole life leading up to that. Michael hired Tony. Tony pretty much took Michael's spot on the team. Um, so I became a Tony Kanon fan at that moment. And then, you know, several years later, uh, Tony wins the Indy 500 in 2013 after several years of trying after leading the race seven years in a row. So, and, uh, I, matter of fact, he's led the race seven years in a row on two separate occasions. So, I mean, the guys, stats are good at any people love him in Indianapolis. If you're there at the 500, when they introduce Tony or when Tony takes the lead, uh, the crowd will let you know how much they love him. So. Now, Louise, you're pretty familiar with Tony. What's uh, give me some uh, Tony Kanon good stuff there? 
Yeah, as you mentioned earlier, he started in card in the late 1990s. He he won the 500 in Michigan in a fourth sidecar, which people, I feel like sometimes, more often than not, people forget he drove for Forsyth. He was teammates with Patrick Carpatier and Greg Moore. The difference, he was in a McDonald's car rather than the players. Then he spent a cup of coffee with Mo Nunn. And then once he joined Andretti, it seems like he finally took off in his American open-wheel racing career. He won the 04 championship for Andretti. And then this one thing that he has over Elio is that IndyCar championship. Yeah, Elio has four or but people forget when Kanan won in 2013, it was one of the fastest 500. It was a long time coming because people look at Sam Hanks and how long it took him to win the 500. Kanan was like, Indy's 500 answered to Dale Earnhardt or Buddy Baker, Darrell Waltrip. They took them so long when he finally got it. It was a popular win. And also, it was a KB racing win. So, whichever team he ended up, he more often than not make them look good. More often than not, whereas KB, he had some promising runs at Ford, but we saw last year at Ganassi in the 500, if it, if a certain thing went his way, he, pro- he probably would have had been a two-time 500 champion. I think the motivation of getting one last Indy 500 win is stronger than it has ever been. And I think going to McLaren, it just further validates the notion that I had that McLaren versus Ganassi is going to be the Ford and Ferrari of IndyCar. Because there's just, you got to beat them. And I think Kanan has a pretty good chance in that 66 car to do so. But time will tell with the month of May. You can have all your expectations, but as the month goes on, things could change. But right now, McLaren are going to probably do everything they can to dominate the 500, but also in Tony's sense, he wants to ride into the sunset with one last 500. Absolutely. And, you know, Elio Castroneves showed us just a couple of years ago. There's really no substitute for all that experience of the track. And Tony's Tony's been there. I think his first 500 was an 0-2 uh, mm-hmm. with Mo Nunn. And then he did, you know, and then he's been there ever since. And he's led a lot of laps there. He's got the win. So, uh, you know, I wish him well in future endeavor. It's going to be it's going to be bittersweet when he leaves. But, uh, you know, to see to see anybody have success and then leave the sport on their own terms. Um, and, you know, go ahead and just become a family man or, you know, race stock cars down in his native Brazil, whatever he chooses to do. Uh, you know, I wish him well and I thank him for for the race and memories that went on. And again, here's a guy who was just great with fans. Uh, which is, you know, to a lot of folks, that's more important than anything, you know, that he took time out to talk to his fans, interact with his fans at the racetrack, uh, uh, extra time to sign autographs. That's the thing that made Richard Petty a legend. You know what I mean? It wasn't the, it wasn't the 200 wins. It was the three hours he stay after the race to make sure everybody that wanted to meet Richard Petty met Richard Petty. And Tony was the same way, largely. So I do wish him well. Um, Lee, Richard, any thoughts on TK or, or shall we move on? Yeah, I actually had the, the, the privilege of, of, of working with him once. He tested for BAR Honda as, as they were at the time in, in 05 um, in where was it? Jerez, I think, in, in, in Spain. And I was on the other car that we were testing that day or that week. Uh, but he, as a, as a reward for... Um, I think it was something like because he'd won the IndyCar series in the Honda the year before, yep. maybe. He yep. uh, part of the, the the prize was or the prize, part of, a, a reward for him was was to test. And he, you know, he was great. I, I didn't have much contact with him. He was on the 
in the opposite garage to us. Um, but uh, everybody that I spoke to said he was, you know, he was very professional, very good, uh, did, did what was expected. And then a year later in 06, um, he did a helmet swap with Rubens Barrichello. Uh, and Rubens ran a TK helmet at Monaco. And should have got on the podium, which would have been a nice little bonus for us. But I think he he, he screwed up a pit stop or something at the end of the race, and uh, and and cost us a, cost us a podium there. So that cost us all a little bit of cash for that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, a couple of a uh, couple of interactions with him, and uh, yeah, as I say, from what I saw, you know, really good guy, and uh, certainly you know one of the guys that you know you associate with longevity in IndyCar, and there's a few of them out there, and uh, you know as they slowly slowly tick off and, and, and fade into retirement. Um, you know, it, it's a shame to see really, but, uh, you know, there's no, no regrets there. And, uh, as you said, glad he can walk away and go and do what, what else he enjoys afterwards. All right. So speaking of Tony Canana, speaking of Andretti, uh, Autosport, um, so IndyCar was testing down at Sebring, you know, a couple of weeks or a week after they were testing at, uh, Thermal, and once again, it was the Andretti cars at the top of the time charts with uh, Rojan leading Kyle Kirkwood. Uh, and this is, and Kyle Kirkwood led the last uh, test session out there. So this bodes well for Andretti. We've talked about them on and off about how their unfulfilled potential uh, that they've had. But but it's uh, it's interesting to note that the, the guys up top there are Kirkwood and Grosjean and not Colton Herta, who's their, who's their bread and butter driver. Now, this is not to say that Herder's not going to be fast. He's not going to win. It could be that Herder's testing different setups than those other guys. And it's hard to tell. It's hard to glean a lot of information from preseason testing. But uh, obviously, this is uh, building good momentum for that Andretti team. I know there were high hopes for Grosjean going into last year that were largely unfulfilled. Um, and Kirk would, of course, spend his rookie season uh, in the A.J. Foyt car, which um, he gave it his all. But more often than not, that car let him down. Uh, but it was a good experience for him uh, in anticipation of getting that Andretti seat, which was the plan all along. Um, and I think Kirkwood is going to be – he's going to be surprising this year. He's going to be giving Colton Herta a run for his money. Now, whether or not they're going to give the Penske's and the McLaren's and the Ganassi's a run for the money remains to be seen. But uh, it certainly bodes well. Uh, but the other guy, Richard – who's been at or near the top of the chime, time charts is your countryman, Callum Eilat. Yeah. Former F2 runner-up. Um, you know, I had that sort of, it was a part of the Ferrari stable for a while there and and it was never really going to materialize or anything. So, But I'm glad to see him sort of step out of the shadows of that role, really, and uh, and start to, uh, start to you know, put some good, good performances together and... Uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see if he can make a mark and uh, in the series next year. And in all fairness, with the uh, the, the team he's with at the moment, it's uh, he's with the Uncos team, isn't he? I believe this year. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, you know, he's not going to be winning races or championships in there. But you know, you've got to look at it from the same perspective as, um, you know, what, what Joseph Newgarden was doing when he was with um, Carbon to Fisher Racing there. You know, and he did. I think Newgarden did win a couple of races, but you know, put, put himself in a position where you know he can attract the attention of some of the bigger team bosses and, and potentially, um, you know, land a more competitive drive in, in the next few years. Because uh, you know, the guy certainly went toe to toe with with you know existing Formula One drivers and certainly didn't embarrass himself. So um, the potential's there without any hesitation. All right, so. Um... 
The other thing they did was they, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago they had tested the uh, the new uh, uh, the hybrid or what do they call it the energy conversion system on the Honda engine, and now they've tested on the Chevrolet. But the results are pretty inconclusive. Will Power was running it on his car, but he was only able to turn twenty five laps uh, because of a mechanical issue. But they say the mechanical issue was not related to the hybrid unit. So that's what that I see your face, Richard. <laughs> That's what they say. So uh, we'll just have to see how that goes. But uh, 2024 is the debut for that. A uh, couple of weeks, uh, IndyCar will open their season in uh, St. Petersburg, as they traditionally do. They've begun the track build. They're, they've begun the, um, uh, you know, all the kind of festivities down there, the, the ribbon cutting, all that kind of jazz they do. They, and they do a nice job in St. Pete. That, that race has been opening the season for, oh, more than a decade now, save for the um, – you know, uh, COVID season, uh, where things got jumbled around a little bit, but, uh, yeah, that's always a great race and we're looking forward to that one. So with that being said, Richard formula one is getting ready to start up in a couple of weeks here. And we've had a couple of, uh, more launches. Um, yeah. Keith, can we have a look at that, uh, new Mercedes car. Yeah. I think pretty much everybody's now, um, launched either the, livery or uh their actual you know more than just a render their actual real real car um i think probably red bull's the only one we're officially waiting to see maybe alpine as well but uh, we've seen some spy shots from those cars but uh you know second season of the of the ground effect era uh they are an evolution um uh, w- one of the downsides per se with the new cost cap regulations is there's less room for for teams to make a big swing at changes there's less opportunity for them for invest money in r&d and and really come up with something dramatic um but they're they're uh, as i say they're an evolution nobody's come up with anything crazy aston martin have been reasonably aggressive with some of their designs but again they seem to have gone down that route that they did a couple of years ago of picking the best bits from the cars and trying to sort of take them all together and hope it works a um, little bit skeptical there again and on that de- design philosophy because, you know, you can pick, you know, you can look at the most air efficient front wing on the grid and put that on your car and it makes the car two seconds a lap slower because it's it's not just how efficient your front wing is, it's how it interacts with the rest of the car. So to, to be picking out at these individual um, ways of, of designing a car, I think is a little bit of a stretch by the uh, Aston Martin team, but... Uh, yeah, well, good, good luck to him. Obviously, with Fernando there now this year, there's, there's a lot of you know pressure on them. He seems a little bit more, um, what's the word, assertive and aggressive than Seb Vettel was. So uh, we'll we'll see how that all plays out for them. But uh, Mercedes have maintained their um, unique side pod design. They call it the Zero Side Pod, which is a little bit of a fallacy because there is a side pod there, but it is very very narrow, very tall. Um, a lot of people sort of pointed at that, at that specific piece of the car as to why they were off the pace last year. But I don't think it was. It's very easy to look at something that's different and, and point out as, as that being their weakness. But I think there was those other more fundamental issues with the car and especially how they set the car up and how they managed to try and maximise its performance. I think they, uh, they they backed themselves in an operating window, which made the car very undrivable through the uh, porpoising effects that uh, you know it was such a hot topic last year. So it'll be interesting to see if they've opened that performance window a little bit going into this year. And uh, they have said there will be upgrades coming to the car 
uh, early in the year. So maybe this, this side pod design will change into a, a more of a, a sort of a washed down side pod design that Red Bull uh, made work so effectively last year uh, or an undercut side pod styling that uh, the Ferrari had. So there's, there's, you know, room for improvement and room for growth. And uh, we'll, We've got our the first preseason test starting in Bahrain uh, at the end of the end of the month. I think it's around the time that the Drive to Survive uh, series is released, the twenty fourth, twenty fifth of February. There for our only preseason test. We call it we call it the first preseason test. It's the one and only. Goodness me, how how times have changed there. Um, and uh, then we then, then we hit the first race again in Bahrain. Uh, I think the, the the race weekend starts on the third of March, with the race being on the fifth. So. Not long to go, and uh, it'll be interesting to see who comes out, uh, whose, whose car comes out the box fastest. All right, so Keith, we've also got a, a picture of the uh, the new Ferrari. Ferrari chose Valentine's Day to launch their car <laughs> because uh, Valentine's Day is all things red, red hearts, red boxes of candy. Why not reveal a nice red car? So, Keith, let's have a look at that uh, Ferrari. Richard, tell me what you think about the fer- Ferrari's chances this year because uh, I know Luis has strong opinions about Ferrari. Yeah, I mean, Ferrari are a million miles away. Um, you know, they had a very competitive car last year. Over a single lap performance was was equal, if not better, than the Red Bull. I think they they at least matched or maybe slightly bested their number of pole uh, pole position qualifying events from last year. Um, but they only came away with four wins, and they didn't win a race post. Uh, I think it was oh, Leclerc won in Austria, and Science won in uh, Silverstone mid mid season, and. You know they went on a drought for the back end of the season, and I think a lot of that was due to engine performance. They they had to back the engine down. They were suffering from engine failures. I remember Leclerc suffered a, uh, or Sainz suffered an engine failure in Austria. Leclerc suffered two while he was leading races in Baku, and uh, I think it was Barcelona as well. So they did get very defensive on their engine strategy. Now the the the, the rumours and the and the. Or the the talk coming out of, of Ferrari is that they've addressed that in the off-season. Um, so they'll be able to wind the engines back up to their full potential. Um, obviously, you don't know what Honda and, and Red Bull have done and you don't know what Mercedes have done. So that, that, that could, there still could be a, a performance differential between the two. But I think that I, th- I think they're going to be more competitive um, during a race. One lap performance is never in doubt. At times, there was a lot of criticism of their strategy calls and uh, and the like. But I think you have to look at it in, as a bigger picture here. Um, it's very easy for people to point directly at strategy and say, oh, they were, it was bad strategy. It's, it's, it's not bad strategy because you have so many variables to work with here. It is, you know, the, the, the level of complexity of the software that these teams use to predict races to... Um, you know, work through in real time. You know, hundreds of thousands of scenarios is is mind blowing, and you know it doesn't take much for that to become a little bit off off kilter. And um, I, I don't. I think people criticizing Ferrari from a strategy point of view. It's a little bit naive as to understanding exactly what goes on in pit wall. You know, we all sit there, you know, the old Monday morning quarterback scenario is very, very easy. But you put yourself in that position on that pit wall under that that level of pressure and not just a profession, pressure to perform, but pressure from a Ferrari standpoint to perform. And that's two completely different things. So um, they'll get there. They'll 
fix what needs to be fixed. And they, I'm, I'm almost certain that if the car is faster or as fast comparatively as it was last year, they will win more races and be more competitive because they learn and they grow and, you know, they, they, they adapt their tools to, to a situation they haven't been in for a few years, really, with having a genuinely fast car. If anything, at the end of the day, when I look at the Ferrari, they did something that I found very unique. Rather than, I don't know, drag on about their promotional products and all of that, take about 45 minutes to an hour. Ferrari was just get the drivers, they're involved, the academy, unveil the car, and do some laps around Marinella, which mm-hmm. was obviously is nice and neat. It's like, this is the kind of <laughs> unveiling I like to see. None of that. The passion tree, all the hullabaloo is nice, but it's like get to the point strictly business. And I think it shall be noted, even if the driver says it's as good, who knows how much is it? Because we always hear about the whole thing, sandbagging and all of that. And that's the always, it's just PR block. They they, they run those filming days on special Pirelli tires that are nowhere near what they'd race on. and and basically, it's a systems check. It's make sure that when you press the fast pedal, it goes fast, and when you press mm-hmm. the slow pedal, it goes slow. You know, there's nothing more than that, really. Um, you know, yeah, they'll have performance metrics in these cars. They'll have, you know, a lot of sensors that will run there that they wouldn't run during, a, especially a normal race weekend. But this will probably be the car that they roll out in, um, in, in Bahrain for the testing with its whole sensor arrays. You know, one of the huge things that they add all of these um, complex data logging systems, you know, you'll see them during preseason testing, especially run these aero rakes, these big sort of metal cages off the back of the car, which um, contains an array of pedo tubes for measuring air pressure and and airflow over the bodywork and over the tire and the like. Um, And you, you have zero room for those things not working. So that's what these filming days are massively useful for, is making sure that your data logging systems and your data acquisition systems are, are bulletproof. Because at the cost of Formula 1 testing and the limited amount of time, if you go out for one run and forget to plug a sensor in, oh, it's it, 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 it's carnage. So they've got to be you know on the ball here, and, and that's the main purpose of these filming days, really, no matter what the teams say. Yeah, exactly. I just I see right through it, but hey, it makes for a good viewership for those who are not involved in media or vice versa. Yeah. Now, Richard, something we didn't touch on in our last two shows, um, and I don't know why, it's pretty big news, was the fact that uh, Ford Motor Company is is teaming up with yeah. Red Bull. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's pretty big, and that's going to start in twenty six, I believe. Correct. Yeah. Yep. yep. So, uh, and then the, the list of engine, engine manufacturers for 2026 currently does not include Cadillac. No. I think so two, does, it, it, does that mean that we're Andretti and Cadillac is dead in the water, or is there still time to for Cadillac to get their name in there? I'm just, I mean, this story has kind of gone quiet. There is, there is an opportunity. The FIA have said that there are opportunities for other engine manufacturers who are not on this list, uh, there is still a window of opportunity for them to join the list. I I don't think it's dead in the water. I don't think it was ever living in the water in the first place, this whole deal. I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on here. Um, I think some of the things that Michael already has said about the other teams is not particularly smart. 
to call them greedy and and, and some of the slightly derogatory terms that he used towards the existing teams. It's like, yeah, whether you like it or not, these are the guys that got to approve your entry. So don't go around biting the fan that feeds you. Um, it's like my cat. Um, but, you know, it's it's like, you showed a little bit of naivety. You know, obviously in, in pretty much every other sport, every other series that uh, Andretti Autosport is involved with, and it's not just form, uh, not just IndyCar, they pretty much any series you can think of, they're involved with outside of Formula 1. In all of those series, Andretti is the big fish, uh, typically, or a very large fish in those ponds. In, in Formula 1, he would, you know, the, they would be the smallest of the small, and he's acting and talking like he's, you know, the, 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 the big guy here, and You've got to you've got to play the game, um, unfortunately, and, and be a little bit smarter. He's a little bit disappointed in some of the things he's come out and said uh, over the last few weeks, and he, they may be right, but don't say them, you know. Um, and on the Ford deal, yeah, that was wow, yeah, that 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 came out of, of nowhere really. Um, but what you have to appreciate and understand here is it's basically going to be a Red Bull engine badged as a Ford. And all Ford are doing is paying for Red Bull to do the development. There will be a little bit of technology transfer, but it's not like where you have Honda who build an engine and then sell it to the teams or, um, you know, how Mercedes do it. This is going to be very much on the Mercedes model, uh, but with a different name. And Ford will say, here's $100 million a year or $150 million a year put our name on the side of your engines, call them Ford engines, and as long as you're competitive, we're good. So obviously got, they've got to be a little bit careful with some of the IP transfer potentially between the Honda and Ford mark because Honda are still on that list of teams that will be eligible for 2026. So Honda may not be going away anytime soon. Um, so it's all a little bit sort of, you know, swings and roundabouts sort of thing at the moment with with that deal and and how that how that naming convention is going to work. But fundamentally, it's a Red Bull engine with a Ford Ford decal on the side. So it's like the days of the Cosworth, where they were branded as Ford, but they're really Cosworth engines. Yeah, and you know, you had the old Mechachromes and Playlife engines and stuff like that. They were Renault engines that Craig Pollock had bought and and stuck a different label on the side, and they were terrible. But um, hopefully, yeah, that goes what I was saying. All right, so uh, thanks for the Formula One report, Richard. Now, Lee, you've been quiet over there, which is... Uh, <laughs> I'm, listen- I'm listening to the experts, man. I'm, I'm soaking say it Richard. all in. Uh, hey, um, I, I, want, I know you've got some, uh, some, some, some big NHRA news that you want to share, uh, but sure. uh, before, before we let you roll into NHRA, do you have any comments on anything we've talked about with Formula One launches or Tony Kanaan or anything at all? I want, well, I want you to... Be- as to uh, I know I know teacher hasn't called on you yet, so I don't want you to feel <laughs> left out. Thanks, boss. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I'm sad to see TK go. Uh, you know, TK is, in my view, he's always been a uh, a driver for the fans. Um, like uh, Richard talked about, he was always there. You know, signing autographs, just like Richard Petty did. He was always there for the fans. And that just really gave him a likable tag. Um, you know, when you think of IndyCar, th- there's names in IndyCar, you know, Andretti, AJ Foyt. A- and then TK's, uh, you know, on the top of that list as well, because he's just, uh, I mean, I, there was a year he went and he didn't 
he raced every single lap in every single race. He didn't miss a lap. He did, you know, he didn't go down a lap. He he finished on, you know, he finished every lap of every race for an entire year. That and it, that's tough to do. A lot of drivers can't say that they've done that. TK has, um, and that you know, that's a feat in itself that I think a few drivers, very few drivers in Indy can accomplish. Um, so, you know, sad to see him go. I wish him the best. Uh, and I, I, I do have to thank him for everything that he's done for the sport and done for the fans. Cause I, I mean, there was many times that I just watched Indy just because of him, you know? Um, and then as far as F1 goes, I'm, you know, the Mercedes cars are, uh, they did do a, uh, and Richard and I talked about this, uh, earlier in the day, um, Mercedes has gone back to the black paint scheme. Um, and the reasoning behind that was because of the uh, Mercedes is saying because of, of weight issues, um, you know, paint, paint yeah. weighs a lot on those yeah. cars and there's so many safety, safety things that those cars have to have to carry nowadays that, you know, they have to start cutting, uh, you know, making changes to the bodies. And, and the first thing to go is paint. Um, yeah. Now you so, look at that. You, you look at some other cars, like Ferrari, for example. You know, the, obviously they carry the Ferrari red, but the underside of the car, underneath the yep. the, the bodywork is black. You know, Williams are, are predominantly black on the underside. Um, so yeah, no, it, it's a continuing theme you see across the grid. Yep, and I think in in years to come, with the addition of the safety features to these to these F one uh, machines, you're, you're, the paint schemes are going to you know the paint the full body paint is just going to kind of go away. I think we're going to see a lot more of just accent paints on the the pieces that need to be um and we're just gonna you know you're gonna see carbon fiber black carbon fiber bodies um like the old sauber days remember that sauber from the early 90s beautiful yep. car yep so anxious to you know with the safety features i, th I think f1 you know i think a lot more teams are going to be taking that route with the accent paints uh kind of like mercedes did this year uh with with their thing and mercedes commented you know they did the silver paint paint scheme for inclusivity um it, on the races and for the fans and they're going to stick with that that's not a, a a point that they're going to put by the wayside you know they they've mentioned that just because they're changing from silver to black that that doesn't mean anything they're still going to be in a you know inclusive to everybody um moving forward and i i think that's a strong strong message to send to a lot of the other teams in f1 so uh i kudos to mercedes for doing that um NAS, uh, NHRA, been a busy week. There was, uh, if Keith wants to throw it up this uh, this morning, there was a major uh, release in body style. Uh, Suzuki Hayabusa has come up with a new uh, a new plastics or, or tins for their bikes this year. Um, it's a humongous. It's a very vast difference from uh, what we've seen in the past. Uh, very. Uh, Solid lines, very polygonal to say, and it tested well. Um, I've read the reports. They're excited for this bike. Um, it really is something that's out of the box. Uh, Vance and Hines team's going to be running that this year and for the for the entire season of Pro Stock Motorcycle. So I'm I'm anxious to see what that does in 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 Pro Stock Motorcycles having that new those new plastics on the bikes. Um, Looking forward to seeing what kind of times they're getting, handability, um, you know, 200 miles an hour on two wheels. I mean, 200 miles an hour is fast. 
There's no doubt about it. But when you're not covered by anything and it's just you hanging out in the wind, it's really fast. So um, anxious to see how those tests go before we get into the March uh, takeoff for uh, Gator Nationals. Another big news, we've talked about it in the past, Tony Stewart crossing over. He has signed on with uh, Phillips Racing and partnered with Mobile One, and he's going to run a full season with Lucas Oil this year for uh, Top Alcohol Dragster, which is, um, if you're not familiar, Lucas Oil, that series is very much like the Infinity Series to NASCAR. Um, it's a junior series so to say, but it's still very, very competitive. Uh, back in October, Tony raced uh, top alcohol dragster and lost to Madison Payne by two ten thousandths of a second. Um, and that, in measurement terms, that's less than an inch. So there was literally less than an inch between him winning a race and, and coming in second place. So I think that really got the bite for Tony uh, moving forward, you know, in NHRA and in top alcohol um, in this season, if he does well, that's pretty much uh, that's kind of the the path that they go. If you do well and you can win a top alcohol, they're going to move you up into the nitro classes. So maybe next year we'll see Tony uh, running some nitro classes, at least part time uh, in the in the Camping World Series. John Force has come out and he has solidified his team this year. Um, funny cars will be John himself for the like eighth decade in a row or something like that. He just, uh, he races constantly. The man's a machine and he's got his son-in-law, Robert Height with him, um, running the, the other funny car for his four team, uh, four car team, Brittany Forrest's daughter. She'll be, uh, spearheading the, the top alcohol dragsters right along with a brand new driver, for his team this year in Austin Proc. Uh, Austin is the son of one of the top tuners. Uh, his dad was a, was a great tuner and uh, you know, kids bringing a wealth of knowledge to that team. So I'm looking forward to that. And speaking of some uh, crew chiefing that's going on, Bob Tasker, the third, he has, uh, he announced he's got um, co-crew chiefs this year with Todd Okahama and Aaron Brooks. They're going to be, co-crew for him this year so looking forward to seeing what those two bring Todd you know he's got 20 plus years being a crew chief so he's going to bring a lot to the Bob Tasker team and I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got to go yeah so when you talk about John Force I mean he, that guy has really been a, a force in in the racing for a, for for decades like you say but uh again it keeps it all in him I I just always kind of wonder because his other son-in-law is of course Graham Rahal Yep. He's married Courtney Force. And I wonder if uh, uh, Graham's ever had the opportunity to, to get in one of those funny cars and just uh, just try it out. Maybe not publicly, maybe at the shop or something. It's kind of because, you know, you know, Ray Hall again, you know, all car guys want to try out everything. I, I mean, and, and I'd like to see uh, Courtney hop in the Indy car and see how she does with that. But uh, it's just kind of funny that, that that little bit of a driver swap uh, has never happened. But it's interesting to see Tony Stewart getting in there and here's a guy who's driven pretty much anything and everything except for like formula one. So, uh, giving a shot at something else. So I think the last guy, uh, that I remember that did like IndyCar, NASCAR and the NHRA was, uh, John Andretti. So yep. I don't know if there's been anybody else, uh, 
that's done all three of those, but the NHRA seems to, you know, it's kind of uh, have its own, have its own kind of thing. A lot of guys, I, I don't know if they just, they don't want to try that, that, uh, you know, that rapid acceleration and pop the shoot is just uh, terrifying to a guy who doesn't mind driving 200 miles an hour against a concrete wall. Um, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. uh, but that's good to see Tony give it a shot though. Cause you know, Tony, Tony's not afraid of anything. No, he's not. I mean, it, it, Tony's great at everything that's got an engine, four wheels, and can turn. You know, and in NHRA, it's uh, you know, four wheels and a straight line. We turn at the end when we go off the track, but we don't. You know, and so I, like you said, I, I'm anxious to see how he does going in a straight line. <laughs> um, I think he'll, I think he'll do good. Um, and I, I am, I'm just anxious to see what he, what he brings to the table in, in top alcohol this year. Uh, yeah, and again, it, it brings eyeballs to the sport, you know, just yeah. like, just like Jimmy Johnson trying IndyCar or, or, or anything else, you know, brings eyeballs yep. to the sport. People are, that are Tony fans and Tony has a huge fan base. I'm going to kind of uh, keep an eye and see how, you know, tune in every now and again, just to see how he does. So that's uh that bodes well for the sport as well. So. Yep. Just like Travis. Well, I don't tune NASCAR in NASCAR a lot, but I will tune in just to see how Tony does in his first couple of runs. So. Yep. Yep. I mean, I, we'll, I, I, we haven't touched on it yet, but I mean, like Travis Pastrana running NASCAR this year, that's going to bring a lot. It's going to cross over a lot of fans. You know, a lot of, a lot of guys that are into that extreme sports are going to, they're going to tune into to NASCAR into the Daytona 500. And, you know, if he makes the field, you know, that's, that's a bonus for NASCAR. Yeah. Pastrana is an interesting guy, man. Didn't he, uh, didn't he go and break all the evil Knievel's records? <laughs> He's broken I everything believe, on the motorcycle. So, yeah. He tried to, you know, but I, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to compare when you got Travis Pastrana running a, a bike that's a, a heck of a lot lighter and a heck of a lot faster and and purpose built. When uh, Evil Knievel had a big heavy Harley, he was jumping yep. over buses with. But uh, I mean, that's a story for another day for our Evil Knievel podcast. Um, <laughs> so, all right, so we. Uh, we're, we're about halfway through the show, a little past halfway. Got about 20 minutes left. So, uh, Louise, let's talk about uh, the goings-on at uh, Daytona. So, pole qualifying should be on right now as we speak. Uh, so, yeah. there's probably folks watching that and not us. And shame on you. Uh, but uh, do you have, you have any updates from Daytona? You, you peeking as, out of, of the as of right now, so far, the fours have shown some speed at top the top four have been nothing but fours. Harrison Burton, Ryan Priest, Brad Keselowski, and Michael McDowell are your four quickest in qualifying. So far, the slowest is Chandler Smith, who was 1.426 slower than Burton's current pole time. So time will tell because qualifying has typically who, been Hendrick Shabby stranglehold. Who did you say has the pole time right now? At the moment, it's Harrison Burton with a 49.996. Yeah, it was only been ten runners out of forty-two. So uh, yeah, those numbers. Yeah, yeah. It's slated right now to qualify next is Connor Daly, and after Corey LaJoy, because Corey LaJoy has gone so far slower than Ty Dillon, but quicker than Chandler Smith. I don't know what's going on with Chandler Smith because you'd think the colleague cars would be relatively quick, but I think it maybe is inexperience from him because remember Chandler has spent. A cup of coffee, very little cup of coffee to expand it, but he's been mostly a truck series mainstay for the past couple of years now. So the transition may 
could be interesting, but it's also important to know that apparently Connor Daly has had some car issues, so he may or may not qualify tonight. So already he'll have to make the 500 in tomorrow's duels. Yeah, he needs what to are race. the rules on? Oh, sorry, what are the what are the rules on? Because obviously there's what six drivers up for four spots or eight for that six, is correct or like that. Six so for four. Can, okay, so can any of those six automatically get in tonight, or all do all six have to race in through the playoffs? The top two quickest non-charter cars are officially locked in in the 500, and tomorrow. Okay, the... so then it'll be two for four then. Yeah, but here's the catch: if say one of the two. One of the non-charter that are already in ends up being the highest finishing non-charter of the duels. Then the next, the third person, the third quickest non-charter car will automatically qualify into the 500. So, go. so yes. Connor Daly, if is if what right. I heard is true, he's in trouble. It's same with Chandler Smith because that over a second slow from pole that is not good. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's not. That's not. You know, you can be half a second round Daytona just on poor speed, but a second—that's uh, that's a mechanical issue or a mistake by the driver. That's one point four two six compared to Ty and Corey LaJoy being just slightly over a second off pace to yeah, Harrison. So even a, even a second's even a second's quite a bit around there. But yeah. uh, you know, with these new next gen cars or whatever the current gen, I guess they are now. You know, maybe a little bit. There's a bit more drivability in them. You know, and. Typically at Daytona, it's just car performance. You, know, you just put you put your foot to the floor and just turn every couple of you know half a mile uh, and do that two hundred and fifty or two hundred times, and you, you're home home and drive. But um, yeah, to be to be a second and a half off is it's not great. No, it's not a, it's not ideal, and no, not ideal at all. So I'm curious what's going on with Chandler Smith over there, and also the Spire cars because, like I mentioned. Typically, uh, probably we'll see that we'll see it happen that the Hendrick and the Chevys are going to probably put on a qualifying stranglehold. Right now, it's just the Fords. But when it comes to race day, the Fords seem to have an edge on them. But there's always Gibbs and twenty three eleven that will knock on the door against those Fords, as we saw in the last couple five hundreds. They just haven't been able to get a Toyota car in victory lane since Hamlin won two in a row in nineteen and twenty. Yeah, that wasn't that long ago. So, um, so let me ask you this: uh, either Richard or Lee, because both of you guys have uh, engineering backgrounds. So, when we look at a guy like Connor Daly, right, who's coming out of IndyCar, right, and maybe maybe Daytona or a play race is not a good example, but uh, historically we've seen like guys coming out of IndyCar struggle a bit uh, when they go to NASCAR number one because um, they they tend to overdrive, overdrive the limits of the car because the car they're used to driving. Uh, it has better brakes, it's, it accelerates quicker, it's lighter, it's nimbler. But uh, this the, the newer gen car drives more like an IMSA car. And IndyCar guys historically do really well in IMSA. So do you feel like this particular uh, NASCAR body that we're running right now, the, um, the current car, would be a little would favor an IndyCar, IndyCar guy or a sports car guy? Uh, coming over and doing well, as opposed to the last one. I don't know. It's an odd question. I, I don't know if I worded that funny or what. But uh... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no uh, anybody other than Connor Daly, we'd have a better idea too. But uh... yeah, I mean, it's obviously difficult to tell at a super speed is, But if you were to put them on a road course um, or a you know a short track, 
I, I, I think you'd, you'd see them be more, uh, you know, co- comparable uh, in terms of performance and lap times. The big issue always has been is the the old cup cars um, were never designed for road course racing. You know, you'd, you'd build a special road course chassis for, for what used to be two weeks of the year. And in all fairness, you're not going to put the effort in. You know, you're not putting the effort in. And when you look at, um, you know, 10 years ago, three quarters of the field were absolutely terrible at road racing. And so there was no incentive for them to go out and build competitive road racing cars. Whereas now, the there's four, five, six road courses in, in the cup schedule. So it's an integral part of the season for, for the drivers to be... Um, you know, competent at the very least on road course. And and even some of these top NASCAR guys have been going to, you know, the Skip Barber School, you know, and places like that, some of these road road, road racing schools, you know, where there are this like 30-year-old NASCAR veteran with all these 12-year-old kids trying to learn how to, to drive a Formula Ford car. Uh, but th- these are skills that they just don't have. And... Um, you know, they're starting to grow into it. And I think the new car, yeah, will definitely help a lot of the cross-platforming between, you know, as you say, IndyCar and bringing some of the guys in and, and even IMSA. You know, I know that um, within uh, the, um, the the sort of family that, that we have, uh, you know, some of our insurance guys are, are, are have, have done sim work in, in, in some of these um, cup cars. And there's, there's a lot of interest, you know, there's a lot of cross cross-contamination for want of a better word now and it may well go the other way as well you know you may start and see more nascar guys doing the rolex 24 and i know it used to happen back in the day and i think that sort of the numbers waned a little bit but as they get more comfortable in these road course cars and you know as you see with the uh, the garage 56 project that that chevy and hendrick are running to get a car out to lamar is you know again another example of that so uh there's, there's potential there for sure yeah, I agree. I think the days of uh, hiring the the ringers for road courses, like uh, Boris said, uh, <laughs> you know, because there was. I mean, you you look back and you know when you went to Sonoma and Watkins Glen, um, you know, teams would literally like, okay, put you on the sideline. We're bringing in a ringer for you know a a, a you know road yeah. course guy. Like I mean, Boris said he he had teams lining up to get him in the yeah, seat. I mean- he he didn't know where he was going to race for. He just rocked up at Snow and walked into playing with his helmet in a in a yeah. in a, in a helmet well, bag, and, and by within a couple of hours he had a seat. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yep. I and I, I, I the road courses too. You know, I I remember I think uh, Jimmy Spencer would sit them out. Sterling Marlin, I believe, would sit them out. Yep. Um, a couple of other guys, yeah. So yeah, Morris, Robert Presley said one of them. Rob Bell's always working. <laughs> Even yep. some of the and, rookies too. As well, was set him out like you saw Travis Quapo, I think, sat one out, David Stremme, I believe, and so did Jason Leffler. They put Dorsey Schrader in that car, Leffler in a in a different car, didn't make the field, but you you catch my drift, yeah, yep. And I mean, I think, I think you know, with this year's schedule, I mean, we've got the Roval, um, you know, that uh, the road courses. That's going to be the test. Um, you know, the bodies are, I think, with the carbon fiber bodies on this new gen car are, are going to be a lot stiffer. Uh, they're going to be more like the IMSA cars. They're going to be more like the Indy cars. 
Um, and the traditional sheet metal cars, I guess you could call them loose or, or flexible, but these carbon fiber cars are, are stiff. They're, they're stiff. And I think, uh, you know, it's going to be a steep learning curve for these, for these guys that are just used to going, you know, and turning left, uh, you know, going straight and turning left. Um, so, but with five or six road courses on the, on the schedule, I'm anxious to see what, how those, uh, those transition guys, like you said, like Connor Daly, how they, how they can do because, Big tracks like Daytona, you know, they don't really get to see that in IndyCar all that much. So I'm anxious to see that that crossover. I think it'll be a good year. Yeah, and I think Connor's supposed to have, I think, six starts in that car this year. So it'll be interesting to see where they put him and uh, and how he does. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see on that point as well. And it's One thing you brought up about road ringers, it's also important to know that one thing is certain at the moment, Joey Hand is not going to be running the 15 at Sonoma because – they also just confirmed that Todd Gillen is going to drive for Rick Ware in the races that Zane Smith is going to run the 38, except for Talladega. That's the only one on the table. So I'm curious to see like where Joey Han ends up. I imagine the 15 in the other road races, but the one in Sonoma was my big question mark, but it looks like it's Talladega for Todd and then Sonoma for Joey Han because he's done he's done superb when he's at that Rick Ware car and I know I've been vocal about that team. I've always been vocal about it. But when Joey Hand is strapped in that 15, he usually does quite well now without stages. I'm curious to see how that how he would do without them. All right. So how we how we doing with live qualifying? Anything exciting happened in the last little bit? Nope. It's still Harrison Burden on pole. Zane Smith is Currently the fastest out of the non-charter. We got a plethora coming up like Johnson, Pastrana, Austin Hill are up next in line. Yeah, so we've got – so the, the pole qualifying tonight, single single car qualifying. Hugh Johnson has put it – That'll set the front row, on. and then that'll set the uh, two, uh, two of the at-large spots. Yeah. Uh, so everybody else has to race for their position. That'll be tomorrow night. Thursday night, the duels that, you know, they used to call them the Gatorade duels. I don't know who sponsored it this, this day it's and age. Blue Green Vacations. It's, I think they've been the sponsor since 2020. It just rolls off the tongue, that one, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's just called the Uno Twin 125 or the 7-11 125s like back in the day. Yeah, it seemed like they don't generate the interest that they once did. Uh, they, they, they used to be a big deal. Yeah, because uh, there were no charters, and there were like fifty cars, or back in the eighties, eighty cars entering. Yeah, you had a lot, a lot of guys trying to race in. Now it's just a couple of spots, but still, I mean, you got some guys that that are racing hard, and you got other guys that are just cruising, trying not not to damage their their race car before race day, uh, just trying to. They figure, you know, you're only going to lose a couple spots here or there. Uh, and then again, starting position does not mean a lot at a 500 mile restrictor plate race. So, yeah, but, it's uh, not, a, not a lot. And Pastrana is actually now holding the cut, the bubble spot for the non charters. It's just Austin Hill left to decide who's in the 500 via qualifying speed. Like I mentioned last week, I'm not surprised so that about means Johnson. Jimmy Johnson's in then. Jimmy Johnson's yep. in if any one non, non, uh, non charter team can beat him. Yeah, uh, so, so yeah. we'll see how Austin Hill does momentarily, but Pastrana makes it by speed. That's a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. Yeah. Yep. 
but nothing has changed uh, up front still. But yeah, like the thing is, like with qualifying, uh, we'll determine the front row and only the front row are locked in. We'll decide who are the two non-charter cars that are in. They don't have to worry about racing themselves into the duels. And then the rest of the qualifying field. But the biggest difference compared to back then as well is that there's no practice. There was no, like last, it's the same as last year. There's no practice for any of the cars until after the duel. So if you don't make the Daytona 500, the only time you hit, you're going to run competitive in laps is literally the duels. That's it. And it's a huge question, and I've heard a lot as well that what happened to the aura of speed weeks? Is it because we don't have that many practice sessions anymore? Does it have everything to do with the pandemic that people are realizing that maybe we don't need to run this many practice sessions? I mean, didn't it used to encompass two weeks? It used to be the whole qualifying was the the Sunday before. Yeah, Saturday, Sunday. Wednesday. So, I mean, the, the duels have traditionally been on a Thursday. Yeah, uh, that's not changed. But it looks like we, you know, we lost a, a weekend out of there somewhere. Because, again, no practice, no. And month, Austin Hill is not the quickest. So, that means if Connor is indeed not qualified, that means it's Johnson and Pastrana are making the Daytona 500 for Pastrana. That's a cup debut, and also will be the first time the 67 car will be in a cup race since 2002 with Boris Ed. I love how we tied in <laughs> Boris Ed. In yeah. I don't know how that guy's name keeps coming up. Uh, yeah. next, week, next week, we'll bring up Lake Speed. Next week's topic will be Lake Speed. So. Lake Speed, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we've, actually, we've had Boris Ed on the show in the past. We had him on. Good guy. Good guy. It was a great guest. So, All right, so we, we're at about eight minutes left. So uh, let's talk about our picks for the Daytona 500, okay? So you folks haven't watched us before, listened before. We always try to make our picks for the race. Um, we kind of keep a tally throughout the year, see who's uh, who's doing well with the picks and whatnot. And uh, Lee, since you're the new guy, I'm going to give you the first pick for um, Daytona 500. Oh, my pick for the Daytona 500 this year, and Luis is going to hate me for saying this, I'm I'm going I'm going team Bubba Wallace this year. I want to see I think he's got a good shot at winning this thing. Um if he can keep his his head cool, I think he's got an awesome chance at uh pulling out a W for the Daytona 500 this year. Yeah, he certainly has shown to be a pretty strong restricted play racer there. He almost almost stole this thing last year. Um so uh, yeah, I think that's that's a solid pick. Um now Louise I'm not sure where you're getting. I'm going to hate you for you picking, Bob. It's an excellent well, you said, choice. You said last week that he was your pick last week. You thought oh, he was going to do good. So I'm I honestly, like, oh, for, if I go with honestly Bubba, forgot, he's going to kill me for, for this. I honestly forgot about that a little bit. But yeah. <laughs> good thing I didn't constantly remember. But I still feel like you got to go through the Fords. And I think out of the Ford camp, I – I think it's. I think we're gonna see a a drought end. I'm not gonna lie. I think this is gonna be finally the 500 that Brad Keselowski wins it. All right. So so you stole my pick now, uh, and I was you know kind of basing that on how well Brad ran in the duels last year, as well as his as his teammate. Um, so that leaves me to pick. Um, I don't know. It's always that. The 500 is such a crapshoot, I tell you, right? 
could be, you know, could be anybody, you know, we've seen, we've seen just anybody win it at times as well. You know, remember Derek Cope? That's, that's all you remember about hmm. 500 <laughs> one time, right? Yep. <laughs> it was lap, so, but um, yeah. who could have it fall into their lap this year? I don't know. You know what? I, I don't think you can look much farther for a guy who's performed well at the speedway uh, than Denny Hamlin, right? And I, I'm not a Hamlin fan, but I know he just gets around that place well. He manages uh, he manages his race pace well, and he's generally, you know, more often than not, they're there at the end if he's not um, caught up in a wreck. So uh, so I'll go with the 11. I'll go with Denny. So, Richard, are you going to abstain from picking? Oh, uh, yeah. I think you know where my, my allegiance is lying. I, I know where your allegiance <laughs> is. So, all right. Well, I want to thank you guys. I want to thank you, Louise, Richard. I want to thank you, Lee. I want to thank our producer, Keith Hayes and Sinister One Productions. I want to thank all those folks that uh, carry us, Spreaker, YouTube, uh, Facebook Live, Apple Apple Tunes, um, uh, Google Podcast. I want to thank you folks that listen to us. I want to thank Netflix again for um, uh, having us show the trailer for Drive to Survive. And I want to thank Forza Motorsports for coming on as a sponsor of our show as well. Uh, again, that game comes out in mid-March. Um, Daytona. So tomorrow we've got the uh, we've got the duels. We've got the race on Sunday, and it's officially 2023 racing season. Um, and I'm excited as can be, and I hope you are too. But until next week, guys. Good night. Thank you so much. Yep. Take it easy. Have a great night. Thanks for watching Draft in the Circuits. Make sure to follow Draft in the Circuits on Facebook, Spotify, Twitter, and YouTube. Draft in the Circuits is a co-Sinister One production.